This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Colorado artists made some great music in 2018, certainly too much to fit in the next hour. But we'll highlight some of our favorite conversations today, from a Nashville country star who left his heart in Colorado, to a young musician whose long bus rides to school gave him the time to make some really out-there music. First, Gregory Allen Isakoff. The folk musician has a big range, even within a single song. One moment, there are majestic waves of string and percussion. The next is spare, with almost whispered vocals. They say it's taken care of it emptiness knows just where I live. Yeah, emptiness knows me. There's a This year, the singer-songwriter released a new album, Evening Machines. He recorded it in his home studio, located in a barn on his three-acre farm in Boulder County. The record got praise from Rolling Stone and Billboard, and he's been touring with it across the United States and Europe, with a stop back in September at Red Rocks for a sold-out show. Uh, We got a new record coming out on Friday. I thought this would be a good time to try out some songs on you. Just before the big show, in dressing room three at Red Rocks, I asked Gregory Allen Isakoff what it's like to perform at one of the world's most stunning music venues. It's incredible. And we play a lot. And every time we walk out there, it's a bizarre, ineffable experience. It's otherworldly feeling. Before we played here the first time, I thought, oh, we could never do that, you know, because we're not like, I don't know. You have to be sting, (laughs) totally. And then that place can just turn into a theater. I mean, easily. It's so intimate. So it feels small when you're on stage at Red Rocks? Is that what I hear you say? It feels giant, and then it can turn into an intimate um, situation, which is our goal always. This is my first time in the bowels of Red Rocks. Oh, yeah. Did you walk through the thingy? We walked through the hallway with all the artists' (laughs) signatures, so... I saw Mariah Carey. Yeah. I saw Lauren Hill. Have you signed the hallway? I think, I think so, somewhere. It just occurs to me, we're in a dressing room across from the laundry facilities. Yeah. I keep thinking, who has sweat on the towels? <laughs> Good point. Across the way. Yeah. Any pre-show rituals? Yeah, I mean, the band and I sing some songs. They're pretty dirty. They're pretty dirty? <laughs> yeah. They're What's pretty... an example of one? Like, we have a song about goats and kind of it depends on what key we're starting the next song you've got your guitar yeah it's like there's some there's some goat we kind of make it up as we go (laughs) you know try to make uh, try to sort of uh, uh, bury any preciousness going on so that's usually what we do get it out of the way get it out of the way they're gonna be mad I told you about that alright but that's fine yeah. Somehow the, the song about goat fornicating did not make it onto the new album. No. no. Yeah, we left that off. Uh-huh. It might make the next one. Uh, I want to say that the album's title comes from the actual machines in your home studio, which is a converted barn on your Boulder farm. Give me a sense of what the days were like recording evening machines. I tend to really dive into making records. I bleed into those things. And so... I can never do it. I mean, this was the quickest I ever recorded a record. 
which took about a year. And I've always made bedroom records, you know, setting up a bunch of mics in a room where I live. And I think that's just because I could never afford hourly rates at a studio because I was like, this song is being written the next over the next month while I record it. So, And, of course, your studio is on your farm where you yeah, live. So right. it, in that way, it is a bedroom record. Yes. And you, you said you bled into this. What does oh, that man. mean to you? Well, I re-recorded, you know, I recorded over 35 songs for this record. And then fully tracked, changed keys, changed tempos, you know. You obsess. I just, I'm not a perfectionist by any means. There's okay. mistakes all over the record, but it just has to feel good. It has to feel right. What do you mean there are mistakes all over the record? You know, because we did some of it live, you know, maybe there's not, there's maybe some imperfect noises going on in the background, or maybe our timing's a little off here and there, but the song moves and it travels and you feel, you, you know, emotively uh, go there. is a song that you co-wrote with your brother, Ilan. I understand you wrote this track on your birthday? <laughs> I, did, I did. Yeah? This particular day, I just wanted to kind of plug in some amps and just make some noise. And my brother was staying with me, and he's like, what are you doing tonight? You want to, like, do something? And I was like, I want to write this song. I had this, this melody in the, my back pocket, and, you know, we kind of just worked throughout the night and just wrote, you know, 15 verses... The song was almost 20 minutes long, and over the next few days we kind of whittled down and figured out what the song was about. It seems to me that it's about an immigrant story. It's an immigrant song, yeah. You and your brother are immigrants, yeah. right? You were born in South Africa. Yeah, my, my whole family's immigrants. I grew, my best friends growing up were all immigrants. I have so many perspectives on what it means to be an American. I see so many sides uh, to it. Just because when we moved here, everyone was just like, this is amazing. America is incredible. We moved in the height of apartheid. So it was like, wow, like... This is an incredible place, you know. It would have been in such stark contrast. Very, yeah. And for a lot of my friends... color lines there. Yeah, my friends that moved from India at the same age and other places, you know. But now, I mean, there's a lot of crazy happening. And I mean, we've been touring the whole world and I've seen this in a lot of different countries and it's not just here, but the amount of racism and sexism and we're not as, as, as forward as we all maybe thought. And you feel that globally? I feel that globally, yeah. With as many songs as you had for this album, how do you begin to whittle them down? Must be like picking a favorite child. Yeah, it's like picking your favorite weird children. It was a tough process at first, and then I remember it was like the spring was starting, my season, my farming season was starting, so I had a lot of work going on. You are a farmer in addition to being a musician. Yeah, I farm like half the year. 
So I remember I was plowing everything, getting ready for the spring planting, and I remember I had my headphones on, and I would just... I knew that the record wanted to start with birth, and I didn't know why, and I knew how I wanted to end it. And so I would just keep playing something. I'm like, all right, I'm not mad if that's next, and then keep playing something else. I'm not mad. And then, you know, 44 minutes for vinyl, you know, that's what we're always after. 44 minutes for vinyl? Yeah. 22 each side? Pretty much. Okay. Yeah, sometimes it can go a little longer or less, but... I want to point out, birth is B-E-R-T-H. Yeah. The kind of birth you'd be on in a ship or a train. Birth, it's a great word. B-E-R-T-H. You're listening to Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're backstage at Red Rocks, I guess in dressing room number three, with Gregory Allen Isakoff, the Boulder County folk musician. His new album is called Evening Machines, and he's taking a few minutes before a sold-out show to talk to us. we got to talk about Caves, one of the first singles from the new album. The sound is lush, as your sound often is. It's huge. And it strikes me, Gregory, as the kind of song that's going to encourage people to sing with it. Mm-hmm. I, I think there are a lot of background vocals there are, in yeah. it. This town closes down the same time every day. Put out the smoke in your mind. Let's put on. Let's put all these words away. It almost strikes me as like a, a drinking beer hall song, hearkening back to a time when in union halls people would sing together. Do, do you think that's, that's right? Yeah, I mean, we recorded that. There was like 20 people in our barn just singing every word. And we kind of were after sort of a, a bizarre sing-along, you know, like a... Like a I don't know, like an otherworldly, like a pretty bizarre storyline, but yeah, that kind of anthemic feeling. What is the bizarre storyline? For me, that song's about that like kind of love of silence, you know? I wrote that with a great friend of mine, Ron Scott, from Austin. We've written a bunch of songs together. He came up to visit me from Austin. He's an awesome, bizarre character, too. Uh, And, you know, he'd wake me up in the morning, like, Greg, I found... I think I like birds now. I found some in the field, you know, and I'm, I'm like, I'm writing that down, Ron. And then I would just follow him around the farm and just write down weird what he said. And then we kind of had all these pieces of paper in front of us and we kind of wrote that song in a day. Now I think I like birds. And his friend was visiting from St. Paul. See on fire from St. Paul. We were driving her to the airport and that St. Paul line got in there. And I go running when the night aches. You know, I find, Gregory Allen Isakoff, that you are able to write lines that are so short and so packed with emotion. And in this song, it's, where our insides on our outsides? Uh Showed our insides on our outsides. And I just thought that pierced to the core Uh of what it is to be vulnerable. Uh Uh-huh. I remember writing that line because I was outside of my house. It was like a full moon, one of those big, bright moons where you see, like, the entire garden. You see the sheep, like, in the background. You see their eyes all kind of lit up. And I thought, there's no hide. You can't hide in this kind of light, you know, like you could in at night. It's, it is piercing. Yeah, piercing. 
I was reading the liner notes, and you give credit to someone for God noises. Oh, yeah. The heck are God well, noises? God noises, you know, Jamie Mefford and I have been making records for a long time. He had a bunch of these old keyboards laying around, and I was just I'm like, Jamie, let's make some God noises of this song. <laughs> I don't know why I call it that. But we just kind of coined it. He's like, I'll do God noises on this. You mix the God noises on that. And Jamie didn't work on this record, but we kind of kept that language. <laughs> And is the idea that these are the sounds that make it feel ethereal? Ethereal, you know, it could be anything organic or analog sound that you can maybe throw back in the end of a mix or really far away or maybe throw through some distortion or delay that maybe you don't hear on the first lesson, but it kind of makes you feel something. There's a lot of God noises on Was I Just Another One. Did you light up every lamp? Flame whipping against the wind Did you fall back to the alleys With all your secrets to defend It's sort of a song about a relationship to someone like on heroin um, But that's the least interesting story to me I don't really care about any of what these songs, what the stories are for me, of any of them. I just really am after making something that people can connect to in their own lives, you know, make it theirs, make it part of their life. You know, there are websites where people will analyze what a song means. Yeah, sure. I I think one of them is song meanings. Yeah. Do you ever look at what your fans are saying, what your songs mean? I haven't. Maybe I'll do that. I don't know. You don't have to do it that. It might be cool, because I think that's the coolest thing about music. I mean, that's what I've been given from so many artists in my life. That music is so personal to me now that I don't even feel like it's theirs. Oh, my drunken southern star How you tried to hide in darkness Slip from orbit now you're dangerously close. Oh, oh, oh. Thanks for making time for us before a big <laughs> yeah, show. No problem. Break a leg. Thanks, man. Yeah. We'll dig in our heels, salute the battlefields where broken hearts were born. Oh, oh, oh. And the storm clouds are thirsty, I can see. The new album from Boulder folk musician Gregory Allen Isakoff is Evening Machines. We spoke in September before his big show at Red Rocks. The latest album from country singer Dirks Bentley has a whole lot of Colorado on it. Ever since we touched down in Colorado, 
until something wasn't right. Cause you'll look at those snow capped mountains. You won't look into my eyes. Performing at the Telluride Bluegrass Festival last year inspired the Nashville based country star in many ways. It led to his new album. It even moved him to launch a Labor Day weekend music festival. I reached Bentley on the phone in August while he was taking his dogs for a walk. Dirks, thanks for being with us. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. It sounds like you fell hard for Telluride, huh? I did. I really did fall hard. I've been to Telluride before, and my brother has been trying to get me to come back out there ever since. And something about going back out there with kids and the Bluegrass Festival, obviously, and just felt like a really natural place to be. I felt like home. And uh, so I started coming back out more often and eventually ended up making a record that was last year. Indeed. This is the latest album. Dog barking in the background. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) The album you referred to is The Mountain and your visit to Colorado most recently, I guess, also inspired the creation of the Seven Peaks Music Festival. It'll be held on a 240-acre ranch in Buena Vista. Talk to me a little bit about your goal with that. I mean, it's all pretty selfish, the whole thing, really. When I was in Colorado last year for the Telluride Bluegrass Festival, I played there on a Thursday and had a great time and thought, man, how can I get back out here? You know, I have three kids and a pretty busy uh, touring life, and the idea of coming back out and writing the record in Colorado came out of that. My wife was really a big proponent of that. And then when we were out there writing, it's like, well, how can we get back out here again? Well, let's go out here and make the record. You know, it was kind of a laughable idea, but then we actually found a studio and came back out for that. Then after I made the record, it was like, well, we've been talking about doing these uh, festival for a long time. If you're going to do a festival in Colorado, you want it to feel like you're in the Rockies, and doing it in Denver just didn't really feel like that. It's a big city, and the mountains are pretty far away. And then um, this location in Buena Vista came up. Some people call it Buena Vista or BV. I'm too close to the border. I'm from Arizona. So to me, it'll always be Buena Vista. Buena but, Vista. Uh, came to BV, and uh, it's just the perfect location. You know, these seven 14,000-foot mountains uh, you know, visible from the festival site, and great town, great people. Everyone really wanted to work with us and was really excited about having a, you know, country music coming to the, to the area. And Again, it all goes back to me just trying to find more ways to spend more time in Colorado. You know, other music festivals have tried and failed on that very property in Buena Vista. I also think of a festival called Riot Fest, which got ousted from Byers. Wow. Byers, Colorado, and left after a few years, uh, having moved to Denver. What are the what are the headwinds here? Well, I didn't know about the failure, but it's always good to know. Thanks a lot, Ryan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, You know, I've tried to eliminate as many headwinds as possible. I'm working with uh, Brian O'Connell, who's head of country in Live Nation, who's launched about six really successful festivals, country festivals across the country in the last six seven years. We're a like mind when it comes to what a great festival is. For us, that's something that really puts the fan experience first and foremost, down to the little details, I always say. You know, making sure there's at least twice as many porta potties for girls as there are for guys. Like, all those small things that add up to being, making the experience great for fans. It's not about money. We want Miranda Lambert and Brothers Osborne and Del McCurry Band and Sam Bush, the bluegrass component, to uh, everyone have a great time at the show, but uh, really the fans. The cynic will hear you say this is not about money and think that can't possibly be true if Live Nation is involved. Well, it's about money for somebody. It's not about money for me. <laughs> okay. I mean, I, I can, I don't, I've never paid attention to any of that. I'm obviously, Live Nation's trying to make money out of it. But, you know, we, we sat down to look at it. It's like, 
do I want to get paid this first year and all that stuff? I'm like, no, my goal is this would be like a, you know, this five, 10 years down the road. Yeah. Maybe it's successful. And we can look at that then, but I just want this to be something that, that works. I feel like in the title track to this new album, your ninth album, The Mountain, I feel like you have written an anthem for Colorado. Well, you better know the bottom if you want to be a climber. Because there's always another one a little bit higher. Just when I think I'm finally done, I'm staring at another one. So I reach down deep and I lace them up tighter. It was only a mountain, nothing but a big old rock. The mountain, yes. So one of my good friends is a guy named Kevin Jorgensen, who's a world-famous climber. He's done the Dawn Wall and has actually a movie out right now about it. And uh, he was giving me and another friend of mine, Blake McCoskey, who started uh, Tom's Shoes. They, uh, they climbed together a bunch, and they were giving me a bunch of crap because... You know, I got this big beard, and I'm singing songs called The Mountain, and, and they're, they're laughing because I've never actually climbed a mountain. I've hiked all over the place. I love going for a good hike, but I've never actually put the gear on and climbed. So recently, I was in uh, the Tetons out in Wyoming, and I did some pretty serious climbing. So I feel like uh, the song now, I have a little, when I sing the song, The Mountain, the next show, I'll have a little more uh, under my belt here to actually pull that song off. It was only a mountain. Indeed, the album was recorded in Colorado just outside of Telluride at Studio in the Clouds. What a great name for yeah. a mountain, mountain studio. Oh, awesome studio. You met, obviously, the owner of, of the studio, and, yeah. and he was in, engaged in something uh, perhaps thoroughly Western when you saw him. Very Western, but Western and very Colorado spiritual way but yeah we pulled up to his his uh studio which is really just a house on the mesa up there in telluride and uh first thing i noticed was a dog looked more like a wolf was uh guarding some sort of animal carcass i was like oh, that's interesting and he come around the corner and there he is you know on the table saw cutting up an elk and comes over to say hi and he's got flecks of you know flesh all over him and he's got these really old tools he's using and then uh we're like what is who's this guy this is amazing and then we get inside later on and he's Become more the uh, the 420 spiritual Colorado element, and uh, offering all sorts of delicious uh, treats for the band and crew, and truly a mountain man. Are you high on most of the record? No, no, no. Okay, I'm not good at being high and and singing. No, no, no. I actually, I'd actually didn't sing the record in Colorado. I thought I was going to, but then I realized, you know, 10,000 feet is not a really good place to get enough breath to uh, to sing. So I actually (laughs) sang everything back in Nashville. I'm traveling like. I'm laying it down All those demons I know I keep dragging round I'm cutting the ties I'm dropping the weight I'm all my hurt and my regrets and my mistakes I'm tired of living Unforgiven So I'm traveling like this is the track Travel in Light from the new album from Dirks Bentley, The Mountain, and it features a duet with 
Brandy Carlisle, whose voice, oh my gosh, it's so otherworldly. I, I just, uh, I could listen to that voice all day. <laughs> did you did you meet her at Telluride? Yeah, she played, uh, she went on after us in 2017. She was so good. I hadn't really, she hadn't been on my radar for a couple of years, and I, it's just so good. I got back to Nashville, and it was like, almost like the radio was, was telling me it was meant to be. I was listening to public radio here in town and she came on and she's singing her song the joke and it was like her voice you just feel like you're in the studio and you can just feel like you could see the the needles going into the red like her voice is so powerful was able to get a number. I sent her a text, and we ended up texting back and forth a bunch. And we just went back and forth, and I, I sent her the tracks and uh, out of the West Coast, and she's able to do her thing and, and send them back to me. And usually, it's like it's verse, chorus, and then you bring someone in, they sing the the verse, and then they sing harmonies to the other person on the chorus. Right? That's usually how to do it. it works. And I was like, it'd be so cool if you just took the whole second chorus, just take it for your own, and just go for it. And uh, she did. And it's, you know, one of my favorite things on the record, just hearing her sing that second chorus so high and her voice is so piercing. It's just, uh, ah, it was just amazing. And I, the fact that she loved the song just meant the world to me. I'm traveling to another woman in your life, the one you're married to, actually, Cassidy Black. There's yeah. a there's a track on the new album, Dirk Bentley, The Mountain, called Women Amen. Uh, and you shot the music video in Buena Vista. You call it Buena Vista. I like that. You call it Buena. All right. Well, now, local. do you know the story behind that? <laughs> uh, I probably heard it one night when I was out there hanging out with the mayor, but I um, can't the, remember it. The town founders wanted the name to sound like the word beautiful. So they they very specifically oh. call it Buena Vista for that reason. Okay, well, I'm from Arizona. It's just never going to happen. But <laughs> it's I never know the story. <laughs> okay, there you go. <laughs> well, you you have the information now. Uh, in any case, you you think that uh, your wife might think "Women Amen" was her favorite track on the album. In a way, it's an ode to her, uh, and yet I, I understand it's actually not her favorite track. Uh, she's been through that whole game so many times with me. I mean, there's so many times I've walked in the door and gone, I wrote this song for you. And, you know, the the girl in the song has blue eyes. My wife's like, yeah, I got brown eyes. I'm like, I know the blue eyes, you know, has a, just rhymed better. And, but uh, the, this song was different for sure. And, you know, and she loves the, the sentiment. And it's of all the songs I've ever written for her, it's definitely the, the most direct, the most authentic, I guess would be the, the best word for it. She loved it, but she really loves the song called Burning Man, which is a 
which is the single right now we just shot the video for. I'm a little bit steady, but still a little bit rolling stone. I'm a little bit heaven, but still a little bit flesh and bone. Little found, little don't know where I am. I'm a little bit holy water, but still a little bit burning man. Burning man. Dirk Bentley is our guest. He joins us ahead of his new music festival. Uh, in Buena Vista on Labor Day. And if you hear him breathing in the background there, it's because he's walking his dog as he speaks to us. And any dog owner would want to know whether your dog has gone. Did your dog go? I have not. It's funny. These dogs are funny. They, they won't really go on the walk. Um, okay. But the good thing about it is I don't have to carry the little like, sack around with me everywhere I go. No. So I kind of appreciate the fact they wait till they get home. Why don't we wrap up on a song called How I'm Going Out? <laughs> it, it seems perfect. And I wonder... Yeah. If there is, uh, maybe this is a bit too literal, is there some sense that this might be about leaving Nashville and perhaps relocating to Colorado? This time of year, um, I go through this thing where we go out there and we're like, gosh, can we just make it work living here in Telluride? Or, you know, I was actually just in Boulder for a little bit, looking at some places there and checking out some schools. And, you know, I'm not dying in Nashville. It's been a great city. I've enjoyed it good people here, but this is not my home. My home's in Arizona out west, and yeah, at some point, I'll be out there. just a matter of time, but um, my manager did not want me to cut, really put the song on the record. She said, it's so depressing. I'm like, yeah, but it's so true, and that's what makes records, records great, is like having that weight, having that honesty, that authenticity. I think, you know, at some point, you know, spoiler alert, it is going to come to an end. When there's no more dreams to chase And when it's my turn to jump off this carousel I'm gonna ride that white horse and run like hell Be thankful for the friends I've made The hungry years, the glory days Give them one more song and let this guitar dance Country singer Dirk Bentley on his new album, The Mountain, and his new Seven Peaks Music Festival, which took place last Labor Day weekend in Buena Vista. We spoke back in August. And our 2018 music special continues after a break. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News. When it's my turn to jump off this carousel, gonna ride that. White horse and run like hell. It's Colorado Matters from CPR News. I'm Ryan Warner. Our next guest takes mundane sounds and turns them into something wondrous. Sounds like... Those are scissors cutting. That's just the thunking of a glass table. This is a broken radiator. Not exactly music to the ears, unless those ears belong to Dan Tarot of Denver. He's an electronic artist and composer who's inspired by just about any sound. The rustling of leaves, squeaky furniture, melting snow, bugs crawling. He records them then flips, reverses, stretches, and twists those recordings. 
Here's what became of the radiator. But it doesn't stop there. The radiator, glass table, and scissors eventually become this. Dan Taro has hundreds of tracks like this. And he chose a select few for his first official release, Spring Drips. The album earned him an award from the Museum of Contemporary Art, Denver. Hi, Dan. Hi. What I have not yet mentioned is that you accomplished all of this. As a high school student, you've just finished your senior year. How do you find the time? I understand you're also on debate. Yeah, so I spend a lot of time on bus rides going to school. I was about an hour and a half away by bus. Oh, wow. So I spent a lot of my time on these, like, get up early in the morning and then open up my laptop and just settle down to write music for about an hour and a half. And then after I started driving, I was actually given an off period at my school to just write music. So that was really great. I understand you've been gathering sounds, writing original songs for about seven years? Yep. Uh, but music for a bit longer than that. I had a bit of um, music lessons with piano and guitar before that. Okay. So you started the the musical creation, your own tracks, in about middle school, I guess? Yeah. Yep. How, how did you develop such a unique palette? I think I would trace it back to piano lessons because I was never able to sort of read music, I think, back then. I'm dyslexic, and it was really tough for me to be able to sort of figure it out by how it looked on paper. So I always was apt to using my ear when I would practice. And... I start to just listen to everyday things and just kind of take inspiration from the things and sounds around me. Even things like traffic just today on the way over here, I was kind of intrigued by the sound of this truck that was going by me that had this really low rumble that I could hear even through sort of the glass of the window. That was kind of interesting to me. I also, you know, depending on when I'm making music, I might take sound sources from the internet or field recordings or people that I have come into my studio and then I'll just kind of use those as starting points and jumping off for songs. Uh, you said that you sometimes bring people into the studio to make noise? Do you, yeah. mean, do you mean singers? Sort of. I mean, it's really strange for them. Um, I had my girlfriend come into the studio. She's not a musician, but she was um, just flying back to college. And so we had like 30 minutes. And so I went to the piano and played all these melodies and sort of came up with a few things that I like a few motifs that I really found intriguing and sort of had her go through those and then also sing syllables. Bum, 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 and also say phrases and things like that. And then I was able to like really recontextualize those and make instruments out of her voice. And so I've been playing the last two months. I've just been really just entirely intrigued by those sounds and making instruments with those. Is it difficult to find... Uh the right headspace for this kind of creation, free of, of distractions? It depends. I think my studio, my bedroom, is a place where I would like to say that I've found sort of a quiet space to work. Although I find that 
I'm distracted by my parents or other sounds, or I call it the chorus of dogs, but my neighborhood just has this problem where tons of dogs just all start barking at once, and then <laughs> like 15 dogs are barking, so I have to kind of shut my window. Have you recorded that? I have, yeah. Uh-huh. That and pretty much everything else in my neighborhood that makes noise. But uh, So I, I tend to make most of my music on my laptop just because of... I, it's annoying because I, I have some of this gear and it's amazing to use, but when I'm not fortunate enough to be around that, I can just do most of it on my laptop anyway. Gear like what is in your home studio, um, meaning your bedroom? A lot of effects boxes, um, pedals that I've made, synthesizers that I've worked on, and old 70s synths that like their capacitors are leaking, so they have these crazy sounds where they kind of detune, and I like to make them kind of scream. That's one of my favorite like synth sounds, I guess. And so you're as interested in creating sounds... Uh, in your studio with all that equipment as you are gathering it from outside. Well, Dan, I'd like to have you walk us through your process a bit, how an everyday sound evolves into a fully realized song. And why don't we start with this sound? So that's the sound of a stick being cracked just outdoors. And then the second sound that you're going to hear is the sound of that same stick being processed and chopped into small bits and pieces and then arranged so that they make more of a percussive sound. Okay. So this is like a twig or something? Yeah, a bit of a pretty big piece of bark, actually. Okay, where, where did you find it? Uh, in a cemetery near my house. In a cemetery? Yeah. And then let's hear this final piece. My gosh, it's so haunting. I suppose it's perfect for a cemetery. Do do you spend a lot of time in the cemetery? Yeah, I do actually, because my neighborhood is, there's no parks, so it's kind of just the cemetery. So I get to go on walks and bike around there and it's really nice because it can kind of get lost in there because it's massive and um i love walking around and just looking at the names and kind of coming up with stories for each one or thinking about you know the date or you know it's a bit gruesome but you know the families that there are different dates when they all sort of pass and you have to think about like why did it happen in that way or like what could have caused that and it's a bit i don't know it's just kind of in a thought experiment or time i mean in, in, in that way you're not writing songs so much as stories i suppose sure yeah Where do you hope your music winds up? Like, I was thinking if they ever do a third Twin Peaks, <laughs> I can imagine hearing this track in it. Oh, that, well, that'd be fun. Um, I'd like to have my music going to people's headphones and just listening on their own time, kind of in their own space. And that's where I often listen to my music. While these might sound more avant-garde, there are some tracks that are definitely more danceable or sort of, uh, you know, they still take a strange approach to doing that. I might still use found sounds or sampled sounds or whatever, but... I think they still can, like, really hold their weight as just songs on their own. You're listening to Colorado Matters. I'm Ryan Warner, and we're speaking with Denver musician Dan Taro. He has just graduated high school, and his debut album earned him an award from the Museum of Contemporary Art, Denver. I'll say that you perform under the name Grotto, and uh, why don't we hear from this new album, Spring Drips. 
this track, Do We Need to Know, has some slightly more traditional instrumentation, uh, human vocals, a drum kit. Tell me how this came together. So I worked for quite a while with a recording of my friend who's playing drums on this track. So it might not sound like there's a lot of work done on the drums, but so over one recording, I probably took each drum hit and separated it into its own individual section. So I chopped it up. And then I moved each drum hit a little bit to create different swing and rhythm. So in the end, I think I spent probably like 20 hours just working on the drums on that track. Wow. But, you know, it was kind of a learning process, just trying to figure out what I could do or maybe reversing certain drum hits or making fills or something like that. So just in that section, I have a lot of, when I hear this track, I just really go back to that editing process with the drums. You do DJ at house shows, other venues around town. I mean, it strikes me that for someone who likes to spend hours carefully crafting his songs in the solitude of a studio, creating that type of live music might be a challenge. Sure. And I think that's one of the more intriguing parts for me. I think with live performance and electronic music, that was one of the things that got me hooked. It's because when you go to an electronic show, you don't have any idea what to expect. I think... When I play guitar, when you strum a guitar, you know exactly what happens when the pick hits the string and it vibrates and resonates. And with electronic music, for me, when I've played live, I've made four or five different huge iterations of my live set. And right now I'm in a version where I play back little bits of audio and I can sequence them and play them and loop them in different ways. And it's very much live. So when I'm playing it, I can make huge mistakes and it might sound terrible. So I like (laughs) the idea of being like having failure built into it. And so that's something that reminds me and kind of takes me back to my days of like playing instruments because you can also make mistakes when you're playing. I'm glad you mentioned failure because uh, you got this award from the Museum of Contemporary Art Denver uh, and it was a failure awards scholarship, mm-hmm. which is for high school seniors who, quote, demonstrate a willingness to risk failure in the pursuit of something original and authentic, no matter how harebrained, impractical or absurd. What, what do you think the, the judges saw as risky? Well, I think that my conception of why it demonstrated risk was because I spent so much time on it. I probably over 2,000 hours working on this album. Wow. And, you know, there's not really an audience for it, at least in Denver. And I was playing house shows, and I don't think people really totally came to appreciate it, especially in the process of building it. And it was sometimes discouraging when, you know, my mom or someone else would just really have no idea why I was doing it or kind of not understand it. But in the end, it didn't really discourage me. I was still very into it, and I enjoyed it. So I was still going about making it and having a great time. Speaking of, of being discouraged, I, I understand that you had tried to get into, like, one of the arts high schools. Oh, yeah. So in eighth grade, I tried to get into DSA for guitar, for classical guitar. But as I said, you know, being dyslexic and not really having the ability to read music very well, I just failed. So it was terrible. And um, so I did not get in. And I'm pretty glad, actually, because I I really like to learn on my own. And I think with electronic music, it's been a lot of reading on the Internet, trying to figure out how to go about these things in my own way. And I don't think having a sort of set structure would really lend itself well to my sort of taste and type of music that I create. How will you use the scholarship from MCA Denver? Um, so it's, a, it's basically a coupon for college. And so... <laughs> Okay. Is it a a good coupon? Is it a double coupon? 
Well, I mean, $10,000. So I think that'll be really helpful because student debt is kind of scary. You're headed to Reed College in Portland. Is that right? Yes. What are you going to study? I'm not sure yet. I think computer science and music. Seems like a good combination for you. Yeah. I think with all the programs and things that I make. Well, before we let you go, I want to get your thought, given that you have such fine-tuned ears on something for us. Laurel. 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 Okay, which one do you hear? I hear Laurel. Really? I I still have not heard Laurel. Okay. Thanks for being with us. Sure. Electronic artist Dan Taro of Denver. We spoke in June about his debut album, Spring Drips, and he told us a new EP is already in the works. Music fans said goodbye to beloved artists this year. Mac Miller, Jim Rodford of the Kinks, most recently Nancy Wilson. Our colleagues at CPR's Open Air pay tribute to legends we've lost. With a program called Dearly Departed, they ask Colorado artists to perform the music of those who've passed away. This year, the Denver band Ghost Tapes honored the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. Ghost Tapes, honoring the late great Aretha Franklin with a performance of A Natural Woman. Franklin died in August at age 76. For more musical tributes, check out Dearly Departed from our colleagues at CPR's Open Air as Colorado remembers 2018. See a program schedule at CPR.org. And that's Colorado Matters for today. I'm Ryan Moore, CPR News.
Chip.